Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. Jacob and Michael back with you on the pod. Michael, what's happening, man? Not a whole lot. Feels like Groundhog's Day here. Another Tuesday. Another Tuesday. And I just punched the mic again, of course. At like <laughs> Never know how to answer that question, how you're doing. How, how do you answer that question when somebody just generally asks, how um, are you doing? Well, I, I am a, a very small cog in a large corporate machine, and yes. so there's a couple of default answers. <laughs> okay. How you doing today? Better than I deserve. That's right. Dave Ramsey. How you doing today? Living the dream. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So if you're if it's Monday and Tuesday, you're like, man, getting over that weekend. Yep. If it's Thursday or Friday, you can say, looking forward to Friday. Mm-hmm. If it's Wednesday, you just say hump day. <laughs> and, you know, that's... This is corporate small talk yes. while you're waiting for everyone else to join the meeting one-on-one. Have you ever seen the Geico commercial about hump day and oh, they've got the camel oh, walking classic. through the office? Uh, That's classic. A, I love those Geico commercials. When we drive up to the farm where my grandmother and my parents live, um, we drive th- through a couple of small towns in between the town of Brownwood and Rising Star, Texas. There is, it's, it's a rural place. Last time we were driving up there, I saw a camel. Oh, wow. And oh, honest yeah. to God, camel, just on yep. the side of the road. You know, I um, there are camels uh, in this area because I think that uh, maybe during the Civil War, uh-huh. they thought they would have been a good idea. So I don't know if it was during the Civil War, it but sometime been, around that that's era. That's right. There was something that happened where they thought it would be a good idea for military purposes, potentially, yes. I think. That is true. Are you sure? Are you sure they're camels and not llamas? I I I did see some llamas, but this was certainly a camel. They are camels because there's a cafe just outside of Comfort, Texas, that you can go to. I forgot the name of the cafe, Um, but we were there for lunch a few months ago, and they've got camel decor all over the Mm -hmm. place. Oh wow! Because they're they're celebrating the fact that that happened a few hundred years ago. at Camels Fort Sam Houston, inside of their little visitor center museum-y kind of part of the base, there's some depiction of camels that I think I think were housed at that base, and there was oh, some yeah. the, the camel units or whatever out of that base for some time. But this mm. this particular piece of land had nothing to do yep. with any of that. It's just a camel <laughs> on the side of the road, and I almost caused a traffic incident while I was uh, looking. turning around trying to trying to see it. Yeah. One of the things I ask, uh, and specifically some of the kids at church when I see them, I don't know if you ever uh, heard this growing up, but instead of saying, how are you doing? I say, what do you know good? <laughs> what do you, what do know, you know good? good? <laughs> what? And I do it to my kids. I do it to their friends. I do it to the kids at church. And I just love hearing a kid come up with a sharp response to that question <laughs> because most of them look at me and say, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know good. But every That's once good. in a while, you'll get a sharp one that just says, it's sunny outside or <laughs> it's Sunday or I'm at church. Yeah. That's awesome. That's what, good. What do you I'm, know good? I'm going to use that one. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> what well, do you know fellas, good? question of the week this week coming into us from our good friends at the internet. Um, if you could have an unlimited supply of any one thing, what would it be? couple of caveats. It cannot be money. But unlimited... Gee, I'm just going to punch this thing over before <laughs> and just throw it on the ground. Unlimited supply of one thing, anything, not money, what would it be? G. All right. Um, this is going to sound kind of maybe strange, and you guys can give me the uh, Family Feud X if you, if it doesn't count. Uh, me, my mind went to, and it's maybe not one thing, energy and focus. Hmm. 
I, my, I went back to, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Powder. It's mm-hmm. from the yep. 90s. Yep. And this concept behind the movie, and, and I'm, you probably haven't seen it. I was it. about to say, you know what else is from the 90s? Yeah. <laughs> Me. Um, <laughs> Established. <laughs> Established. Um, so the movie was about uh, this, this uh, will end up being like a high school student. Um, and the idea, the premise was the small amount of our brains that we actually, you know, I guess use, I don't know if this is actually scientifically true, but you know, the, the premise of the movie was we only use like eight or 10% of the power that, Mm -hmm. um, to put it in computer terms, the processing power of our brains. And so the idea was that this one kid was an anomaly and he was able to utilize much, much more than that. And so some, so he kind of did some, he was able to move things with his mind and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, when you asked me that question, I think my mind was like, well, I'd like to give that a whirl and uh, see if more energy and focus, I could up the percentage of the amount of uh, processing power I'm using. And I don't know, huh. move things around with my mind, keep that microphone stable while, yes. while your paws <laughs> fling about. <James>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. So I guess that's, that's my effort for the week. That is far more sophisticated than mine. Because I think the the obvious answer to this question is beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can think of no other no other answer than that. That's what that that concludes my portion yeah. of question of the week. Michael, what would you have an unlimited <laughs> supply? It of? reminds me of the Dumb and Dumber line where they're going to Aspen. Where do they say the beer flows like wine? <laughs> or what, do they, is that the phrase they use? I, I do not know. Okay. I've not seen that movie. Oh, really? Uh, oh my yeah, goodness! No. That's a I, I, great, I, great movie. Uh, I don't like movies. Okay. <laughs> Copy. Nice. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> most of the time, when someone's like, "Hey, have you seen?" Yeah, it's like, "No, I, no, I haven't." Yeah. Um, for me, I guess I'm thinking of practicalities and what's a commodity that I use on a daily basis. That so I we have love. the same answer then. Uh, slightly different but very similar um i love and i i I encouraged you to buy this brand of coffee beans oh yes yeah rudamaya coffee beans Mm. if i could have Mm. an unlimited supply of those coffee beans you know i grind 10 10 cups worth every morning and uh i would i would just want those to always be in my grinder unlimited supply yeah, that you, would probably save me a ton of money over my lifetime as yeah, well. You are nice. brand loyal for this. I am. I will. I will spend a few extra dollars on Ruta Maya coffee. In fact, if any folks are listening from Ruta Maya, we will we will plug you every single week <laughs> if you send us uh, bags of coffee. Are they they're still open downtown, right? Oh, they have a they have a store downtown. I, there, there was a coffee shop downtown at one point named Ruta Maya. Oh, Hope. I did not know that. I just I buy their beans from Costco. Oh, dark roast beans at Costco. Yeah, they normally always have them there. You know, well, I might just Google that. Do they have multiple roasts? Different, different. They've got a medium roast and a dark roast, but I think that that's all I've seen. I'm sure they might have a lot more, but at Costco, that's all they ever offer. Gotcha. And they have a decaf. Yeah, I think I got the medium roast. I get the dark when we were there. I'll have to try the dark because it's better than. My cheap alternative, yeah, but I don't know if it justifies. I don't know if it's so good that it justifies marginal cost. Sure, it is a little more expensive. 
Yeah. But not if you have an unlimited supply. So Amen. That's very good. Like very good. Gentlemen, thanks for participation in this week's question of the week. Folks, if you've got a question of the week for us, please send that into questions at trinitygracesa.org. That's questions at trinitygracesa.org, and we'll feature you and your question on a future episode of this of this show. Michael, our regularly scheduled programming this evening, continuing on in our hot topics series, we've been covering the uh, the umbrella of we'll call it cultural hot topics. Um, we've had a couple of fun ones. It's been good um, today. Kind of wrapping it up with the pulpery episode, if you will, <laughs> talking about Christian liberty. Mm-hmm. Yep, and pretty much every um, topic that we've talked about up to this point falls under the umbrella of Christian liberty. Even though at times me and you pontificate. Like we are so sure about things, and uh, and you might get the sense that um, things are, are biblical uh, mandates. That certainly is not the case uh, in the topics that we've been touching mm-hmm. on over the past few weeks. And so, really, everything um, has fallen under this category. For instance, as I mentioned to you earlier today, you don't have to buy organic, humanely raised chicken as a follower of Jesus. It might be a good idea for me, but it's not a biblical mandate for you. Mm -hmm. And so people are free in that choice. Um, People are free in their uh, choices when it comes to political decisions in many ways, as long as it doesn't violate a commandment that God gives us in his scripture, and as long as it doesn't keep us from obeying and fulfilling commandments that he's given us to obey and fulfill. And so all of these categories that we've talked about over the past few weeks really fall under this um, this topic of Christian liberty. And um, yeah, if the Bible does not speak clearly on an issue, it leaves us to our sanctified common sense mm-hmm. to apply some principles that are more clear from the scriptures uh, to uh, decisions that we make that are more what you might call gray area decisions, sure. wisdom yeah. decisions. Uh, a lot of life is black and white. You get a lot of black and white in the scriptures. There is such a thing as good and evil, right and wrong, righteous and unrighteous. But there is a lot of life that is lived in the gray area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of those things that we'll touch on tonight are things like school choice. Where should you send your kids to school? Um, are you allowed to enjoy an endless supply of beer <laughs> if, you know, you had such a thing? Um, Halloween is coming up. Mm-hmm. and for some reason in our culture, uh, Halloween and the Christian church has not mixed very well. Yeah. And um, I think there's certain reasons for that. But historically, if you look at the, um, the origins of Halloween, you could make the case that Christians should be celebrating it uh, more than any other um, demographic out there because we're celebrating in some ways the defeat of evil and Satan mm-hmm. um, on that holiday, All Hallows' Eve um, is what the church would normally uh, refer to that day as um, just before um, All Saints Day on November 1st. Uh, what kind of music, what kind of movies, you know, what kind of uh, entertainment are we allowed to engage in as Christians? You name it. All of these issues are Christian liberty issues. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's, that's kind of what we're going to be discussing tonight. Yeah. So when I think about these issues... I I think I could broadly put them into two large buckets. And there are those, and, and both buckets fall under the scope of Christian liberty, where the Bible doesn't speak to it very clearly. 
Um, it's kind of up to our sanctified common sense, to use your phrase, on on how we choose uh, our alternatives here. But I think we can put these into two broad buckets, and those buckets would be those things which require uh, some kind of thorough exercise of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so under here I'm thinking like probably school choice and who you vote for mm-hmm. uh, probably falls under these – Like. There's a, there's a substantial amount of wisdom that you should employ and seek from others when you're making decisions on these. And there are others, um, I'm thinking here about whether or not you consume al- alcohol, whether or not you enjoy um, a fine cigar, whether or not you watch R-rated movies or take your kids trick-or-treating, which fall mm-hmm. under the we-don't-have-to-over-spiritualize-everything bucket. How do you know when something is very clearly a Christian liberty thing? How do you know when we should uh, be diligent in applying wisdom, and when uh, and w- how do we know when we're doing that versus how do we know when we're over spiritualizing something that really is is just pretty trivial? Yeah, I think a good thing to keep in mind would be what does love require or invite us towards. Because when it comes to Christian liberty, um, you know, the passage that jumps out is Romans chapter 14, uh, where Paul touches on this topic of Christian liberty. And love seems to be the driving um, common denominator that Paul is thinking about when he is even considering what is he allowed to engage in and what should he refrain from, even though he might be at liberty to enjoy and so in Romans chapter 14, I'll, I'll just read a little bit. And I don't know if I'm answering your question perfectly, but we'll, we'll, we'll stay on this topic sure. for just a minute. Um, but Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, "...except anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters or matters of Christian liberty. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. You should be thinking about the Sabbath potentially Mm -hmm. here. Gentiles did not have the same view of the Sabbath as Jews did during this day. Someone someone else judges every day to be the same, Paul continues. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God, for none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord." And so not only should love uh, characterize our decisions, but also we need to be thinking about how we're living before an audience of one. Mm-hmm. I mean, so often we are concerned with what others think about us. And this Christian liberty uh, you know, umbrella frees us or wants to invite us to freedom from that. I once had a pastor uh, say to a group of other pastors, it's none of my business what you think about me. Mm-hmm. What I think you think about me will kill me. And the only thing that matters is what Jesus thinks about me. And so that's a great little uh, phrase or thought to keep in mind when we're thinking about Christian liberty. Um, What does the Lord think about this? Um, How am I um, invited and constrained to 
um, decide on my kids' education choices, decide on who I'm going to vote for, decide on whether or not to drink alcohol at this specific event, mm-hmm. um, because I know that there might be some people there that it would offend. Um, what does the Lord think about it? What does love demand? And so, in some ways, it comes back to what it always does. What does love of God and love of neighbor practically look like in this specific situation? And it's not going to answer every, you know, minute detail of the decision that you have to make, but it is a good 30,000 foot general principle that will help us uh, discern which direction we should be moving when it comes to some of the decisions that we make when it comes to Christian liberty. So love of God, love of neighbor. I think that would be how I would uh, encourage somebody to think about these things Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to these free decisions that we have to make. Yeah. And important, too, to not create um, rules for yourself that you then impose implicitly or explicitly on others that are not specifically written in Scripture. It's uh, it's one thing to be rigid on the, the rules that we find in, in the Bible to the extent that we find them. It's a completely other thing to create certain rules that you expect those in your Christian circle— uh, to follow. Yep. So. Expectations are so big here. And, you know, legalism, a good definition of it, and you're hitting on it, Jacob, is when we make a good idea for me individually, a biblical mandate for everyone. Yeah. And so it might be a good idea for me not to trick or treat on Halloween because it might offend my conscience. Because I've grown up believing that Halloween is an evil pagan holiday. And for me to engage in that, would actually violate, um, you know, the God-given conscience that I have. Now, that would be a weak conscience, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but nonetheless, we shouldn't violate our conscience because later on in Romans chapter fourteen, uh, Paul says, "Whoever doubt," uh, he says this, uh, "Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God." Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Talking about the conscience here. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because he's eating not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. And so there's an instance here where Paul is talking about under the umbrella of Christian liberty. I'm not saying there's not right and wrong Mm -hmm. in, in more white and black areas, but under the umbrella of Christian liberty, there is such a thing as it might be wrong for me and right for you. Um, because if it's not flowing from faith, if it's violating my conscience, then it is wrong for Mm -hmm. me. Now, I might need to gain more wisdom, and I might be an immature Christian that is going to grow into maturity and maybe one day be able to enjoy some of these freedoms that my other brothers and sisters do enjoy. But for today, it would be sinful for me to engage because my conscience would be violated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it's a strange... It's a strange thing when you get to Romans 14, the argument that Paul makes, because he does he does elevate our conscience to a level of um, something that we shouldn't cross, mm-hmm. um, even if it is an immature conscience. Yeah. It's almost as though um, participating in something or consuming something that is not inherently sinful, but you think it is, but you do that thing then you have demonstrated a willingness to sin or you have in in some way you have sinned because yep. you are you are even though you misunderstand something to be sinful 
you're you're fl- like if you think something is sinful, you should not do it because sure. that is you know cosmic treason against God. So if you believe some, if your conscience convicts you that Halloween is the devil's birthday, then and you actively trick or treat on it, then what are you saying other than I think this thing is is a, against God, but I'm going to participate in yep. it anyway. Yep. That doesn't necessarily mean our conscience gets to write the definition of what is and is not sin. Great point. But when you act in such a way that is incongruent with your conscience, you are demonstrating your um, – you're putting into action your sinful nature sure. in, in some way. Yep. That is, that's a great point. And, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about Halloween here. And uh, if folks, if your interest is piqued by this conversation <laughs> about Halloween, please email questions at trinitygracesa.org because I can send you some literature and some articles uh, that will make the case that Halloween is uh, um, a holiday worthy of Christian mm. celebration. Um, your and, pirate costume is looking great. By that's the way. right. That's right. And so I think you, maybe a little more eyeliner next time, and you'll get the. <laughs> there you you'll go. Get it just perfect. But you might be. Th- we're not gonna. We're not talking about Halloween. <laughs> like that's not the main yeah. subject tonight. So we're just kind of hitting around it, and you might just be thinking, "What in the world are they talking about?" Well, just you know, send that email, and we'll make sure you get some of those articles um, that might help you understand uh, that holiday from a more Christian perspective. But sure. that's neither here nor there, yeah. I guess. I guess the biggest issue in my circles that have come up that's under the umbrella of Christian liberty is uh, whether or not you can or should consume alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, right when when I grew up, even before any of us were of legal drinking age, this was a question not of sh- should we consume alcohol as as underage persons, but when we are of age, is it right or wrong for us to consume alcohol? And um, I was I was certainly in the minority of my friend group in in, in taking the position that we're taking right now, basically, mm-hmm. which is that Christian liberty kind of rules the day, and um, we shouldn't over spiritualize this particular issue. But I do find a kind of I guess it's a kind of legalism in some Christian circles around the idea of alcohol, and it's not so much that like it used to be this idea of. Um, Drinking at all is completely sinful, and you know the the beer joints are the devil's playground or whatever. And now it's much more like, oh yes, you can drink, but if you're really mature in your faith, like yeah. if you're if you're some if you're a real Christian or if you really care about your brothers, then you won't for fear of becoming a stumbling block, um, even around around a small group of people that you actively know no one is a current alcoholic or something. Mm-hmm. What's interesting in this Romans fourteen passage is that, um. The example that Paul uses of whether or not a person eats meat or not, the person who abstains from the activity of eating meat is the one that Paul calls the weaker person. Yep. Because their conscience is not uh, wise enough or mature enough or uh, discipled enough to understand the freedom that they have to enjoy God's creation, to enjoy uh, whatever recreation or uh, simple pleasures like meat and drink uh, that we are afforded, they don't understand the freedom that they have to do those things in Christ. Yep, absolutely. That's I mean that's that's really what Paul's touching on, like you mentioned in Romans fourteen, and this is an, another um, wisdom issue because the scriptures do talk about alcohol in a negative way uh-huh. in certain instances. 
but it's always alcohol that leads to drunkenness right. when it mentions uh, the danger of alcohol. So you think of the Proverbs. It, it touches on the idea of drunkenness often. Proverbs 23 verse 20 says, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Mm-hmm. And so, as you know, Proverbs are truisms. Um, and uh, and that is just the way the universe works, the way God created it. That if you are somebody who drinks too much wine or gorges on meat, then you're going to be one who winds up poor mm-hmm. um, and uh, clothed in rags because that's what addiction to alcohol or any other sort of um, uh, um, uh, any other sort of uh, thing leads to Ephesians five eighteen says, "Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit." And so, you know, there is instances where there's warnings, but then there's also instances. I mean, probably far more instances where wine is elevated um, and uh, and and highlighted mm-hmm. as uh, bringing joy to man's heart. Um, you know, a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. You know, you never really get that without some sort of feasting and and fine wine being uh, also talked about in the scriptures. You see Jesus, as we talked about a few weeks ago in John chapter two, turning water to wine. Um, and uh, and so, um, you yeah, know, I I think the scriptures are pretty clear that um, if you're if you're partaking in alcohol and to the extent that you're getting drunk, you're yep. very clearly you're in sin. And so this brings up the whole conversation about legalism. And then the other end of that pendulum is antinomianism. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in the reformed world, especially when I grew up in it, uh, I was involved with RUF. RUF kind of got a bad rap in some ways because we were viewed as, uh, you know, the kids that, uh, champion Christian liberty in such a way mm. that we might have been, you know, you know, moving over on the other side of the pendulum into actual sin and how we were engaged. And I'm not saying we like me, although I definitely could have been a part of that. I'm saying we more generally in RUF. I'm not trying to throw RUF under the bus, but, you know, smoking and drinking and really celebrating yeah. the fact that we were able to do that as Reformed believers um, it might have gone overboard, uh, not just into drinking maybe too much at times, but also offending our brothers yeah. and sisters that might not yet have um, been given uh, that um, that uh, um, that opening, that freedom, that yeah. freedom, that uh, what, what word am I looking for when you when you no not license, but when you see something for the first time, um, not paradigm, but. Uh, I'm know, sure there's a really good German word. I'm it. sure there might be, but you know uh, that option is open to you for yeah. the first time, and you walk into it. Revelation, you know, uh-huh. you receive that revelation, and and you and you celebrate it maybe a little too much. And uh, who cares? The Lord's going to forgive us. Yeah. Um, and that's antinomianism. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna be anti-law. God's commands are still good, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, we have to keep that in mind as we. Uh, you know, discern some of these Christian liberty issues. There is a certain point where Christian liberty itself can become an idol. Sure. Um, where we worship our ability to flaunt our, not even our excesses, but just our uh, um, enjoyment of other things, maybe maybe specifically to troll those that are stuck in kind of a legalistic mindset. Yeah. Um, I guess a, a question I would have for you is... Um. So, at what point do we 
um, abstain from partic- partaking in activities that we know as mature Christians are permissible under our Christian liberty for the sake of not offending our brothers who haven't who haven't matured to that place in their conscience, mm-hmm. like you just said. When do we abstain, and at what point do we need to say, you guys are being ridiculous? That's a great question, and it's another wisdom question. But Paul does talk about this when he picks back up in Romans chapter 14, um, and beginning in verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself still to someone who considers a thing to be unclean. To that one, it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. And so the idea that Paul knew that he could eat any meat, whether or not it was sacrificed to an idol or not, it didn't matter because Paul, another portion of Scripture, says idols don't exist. Right. So I can eat any meat that I see. But these weaker Christians would not eat meat sacrificed to idols because they actually believed that was sinful, that was evil. Mm -hmm. And Paul says, well, if I'm invited to a table and my brothers and sisters across the table from me won't eat this meat because it was sacrificed to idols and they're convicted by that, then I will abstain from eating that meat so that I don't put what he calls a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of our brother or sister. And so, you know, the easiest way to think about this is... Alcohol. Um, There might be some that are not convinced that alcohol is something that can be enjoyed as a good gift from God. They might have grown up in a tradition that, you know, um, talked about alcohol in all the wrong ways um, and, you know, prohibited it in their uh, particular church community. And so that person's conscience is weak when it comes to that specific um, engagement. And so uh, for us to press him to violate his conscience would be wrong. Mm-hmm. But there is an aspect where we should be continually maturing as believers and growing in our understanding of what God calls us to and moving away from legalism in our lives. And so not to say that that brother never will enjoy alcohol ever, um, but potentially um, he'll come to some understanding of the good gifts of God and the fact that this was a good idea that was made into a biblical mandate. Mm-hmm. And once those eyes are opened, and once he understands that this isn't, in fact, sinful, as long as you're enjoying it in moderation and in responsibility, then, um, you know, maybe they'll, um, they'll, they'll, come, they'll come over to the other side to where Paul is. I mean, you take the meat, for instance. I mean, did Paul never try to teach them, hey, guys, idols don't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, this meat's fine to eat. You could imagine him doing that. But for the time being, you get the sense that Paul was content to allow to lay down some of his privileges um, that he knew that he could enjoy so that he didn't put a stumbling block in front of his brothers and sisters. But it does not mean that he did not continue to try to mature them in knowledge of who Jesus has made them to be and the freedom that he's won on their behalf. Yeah. I I am perfectly willing to lay down any privileges that I might have as a Christian, especially around 
new Christians who are just starting to process mm. these things for the first time, and um, Christians drinking alcohol might s- seem confusing to them based on the context that they grew up in, or recovering alcoholics who uh, might be placed into temptation by being around Christians that are uh, drinking beer, yep. um, perfectly willing to lay down any privileges in those circumstances. Where I get a little bit frustrated is when that is not the case, and I'm around a bunch of other Christians mm-hmm. that are as mature or more mature in the faith than me, and they're like, oh, no, we're not going to drink because there might be someone here who's an alcoholic. And I look around, I like, we've all known each other for 12 years. Who's an alcoholic, sure. you know? <laughs> so, or, or other other circumstances where it's Reveal like... Reveal yourself, yes. <laughs> yeah, or, or other circumstances where it's like, sure. you're clearly not laying down a privilege... Um, uh, in favor of someone else's conscience, yep. you're clearly abstaining from something because it makes you feel like oh. a better Christian, yep. which is just legalism. Totally. So it it takes my mind to the pages of the Gospels, and one of the things that you see Jesus and his disciples um, butt heads with the most uh, over uh, when it comes to relationship with the Pharisees or the religious establishment of the day was how they treated the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the Pharisees and the religious establishment of the day, they put so many rules around the Sabbath so that they kept from breaking the Sabbath that when Jesus came on the scene, they didn't like the fact that he was healing on the Sabbath and he continually did it right in front of their faces, almost intentionally Mm. to provoke them. Um, You could make the argument. Uh, The disciples, when they're walking with Jesus uh, and they're hungry, uh, through grain fields, uh, they you know take the grain in their hands and rub it together so that they might get the kernels and, and satisfy their hunger. And the Pharisees just happen to be there, and they see this, and they accuse the disciples of working on the Sabbath. And you get a sense that Jesus has no patience for that sort of thing. I mean, basically, he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. If I do it on the Sabbath, it's okay to do on the yeah. Sabbath. And the Sabbath was not made for man, Um or man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, is what he says. And so you do get a sense, uh, even on the pages of the scriptures. Now, this is Jesus. And so I guess we have to keep that in mind, that he uh, you know, demonstrated um, love and also challenge perfectly in maybe ways that we're not always able to do. But I think that we can follow his example in that. What does it look like to love our weaker brothers, but also to challenge mm-hmm. uh, self-righteous Pharisees? Um, which we're all prone to be ourselves, right. to be honest. But then also we're 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 uh, we we come into contact with from time to time. Sure. And so I, I totally agree. You know, that's another wisdom issue, and that's that's it. It seems to be what you always come back to when you talk about Christian liberty is what is what's what does wisdom um, invite us to or demand in this yeah. situation? And sometimes the employment of wisdom means understanding what is an issue that requires. Um, research and thought and a little bit of a crucible moment and what things are just like wisdom should lead you to conclude that it is an immaterial decision. Mm -hmm. I think on the, like in the main, the decision whether or not to consume alcohol in moderation is one of those things. The latter of those two categories, whether or not you take your kids trick or treating wisdom should tell you that, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And so I think we do, I think Christians do a disservice of turning these things that are like just mundane, immaterial, regular things like 
passing out candy to kids dressed as Marvel superheroes. Oh. And turning that into this this like super spiritual thing of whether or not you should or should. I, I just don't think that I don't think we have to make everything a super spiritual issue. Yeah. And on that note, I feel like we're talking about Halloween a lot, but well, we talked about, about alcohol for a bit. Now we're going That's back right. to Halloween. <laughs> I, you know, I've heard folks say that the one time in the entire year, the one day where our neighbors will actually come and knock on our doors, <laughs> the thing that we would love, the thing we talk about all year long, you know, getting to know our neighbors and loving them and, um, being salt and light, the one day they do that is the day that the Christian church fortifies itself mm. with trunk or treat, you know, at the church building. Oh, yeah. And um, and instead, what would it look like to engage our neighbors on that evening where they're out celebrating and they've got no idea, or generally speaking, I would imagine 99.9% are not out celebrating paganism. Right. Um, they're out there enjoying a cool October evening with their kids dressed as Marvel heroes and, you know, talking with neighbors. Right. And we as Christians who over-spiritualize this issue pull away, and not to say that if we would all get out there on Halloween that, you know, the world would be converted, but <laughs> it would be a great first opportunity to get to know some neighbors that we maybe never gotten to know before. So, uh-huh. yeah, well, it, you can it, say so much more about Halloween, by the way. I didn't realize this was such a, a big topic for you, it, Halloween. It's, it's just a big topic because I grew up in the Southeast, and uh-huh. I did grow up in a Baptist church where... Um, you know, Halloween was viewed very negatively. Mm-hmm. And as I grew up and started learning more about the holiday itself and the Christian origins of the holiday and the practical evangelistic opportunities that come along with it, I, you know, this is, this is one of those issues that, like you just mentioned, I kind of want to push against mm-hmm. and challenge folks on. Um, in terms of how we engage that that holiday in our neighborhoods, because yeah. like I said, it is just such practically a great chance to get to know your neighbors. And so I knew a pastor um, who uh, would just go all out on Halloween. He'd decorate his house. He'd sit out on the front porch with his wife and hand out amazing candy and then also have, and this might offend some people, but I didn't do it, so but he did. He'd, he'd have uh, jello shooters for the adults come that on. would come by. And so <laughs> not only was he seeking to, you know, love the kids, but he was seeking to engage the adults. And I'm sure that might offend some folks, but generally speaking, your neighbors enjoy that sort of thing. Yeah. And so they would not be put off by it. Yeah. You might make the argument, and I'd be willing to have the discussion, well, he's ruining his witness if he's offering, you know, folks that he doesn't know. Alcoholic beverages. Being a pleasant person to be around yes. is never ruining your witness. I, I would agree. But there, yes, I want to be sensitive to those that might be offended by that. But all that to say, I, I bring that up. I like that idea. Yeah. Um, and so um, I think he's doing it right in many ways. Do you think Christians need to uh, put little Bible verses around all the candy that they give to the kids or or try to evangelize their parents on the porch step when they, they come to the door? Or can Christians just engage in oh. good uh, sort of yeah. low-bar, low-brow Halloween fun? Low-brow Halloween fun. In, in some ways, the if folks, if folks do that, that's completely fine. Yeah. And so for me, I'd say it feels a little bit lazy. Mm-hmm. Um when it comes to evangelism. And so if we think that giving someone a tract, no matter if it's Halloween or not, if you wrap your Halloween candy with a scripture verse, Lord bless you. Um, that's I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Certainly not. 
But I also think that, you know, attract is just the lazy man's evangelism. Mm -hmm. And so if we think that we have, if we've made ourselves feel better because we've wrapped a piece of candy with a scripture verse, by the way, I've never seen this. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure I got one when I was a kid. Have you? Okay. Um, And so maybe we're talking about something that nobody would ever consider. Um, I certainly have not considered it or seen it. I know I've gotten some as a kid, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well... If if you are convicted that you should do that, you should probably do it. But you you should hear from your pastor. You do not yeah. need to spiritualize your candy this Halloween. Right. My point in bringing all that up is it's not like yes, Christians should engage in Halloween because here's all the little tricks that you can do to sneak some evangelism in there. Like I don't think that's how we need to think about it. We don't need to find a Christian angle into Halloween. Sure. Like, yeah. Like it's just it's trick or treating for kids. Like yeah. It's a pretty immaterial thing whether you do yep. it or not. But yep. you know, I I I I do I, I don't know how this fits in, but it definitely does somehow. Someone might say, well, um, if as you've said, Halloween can be an evangelistic tool, um, how will people understand um what we stand for if we don't sort of just lay the cards on the table and try mm-hmm. to convert parents on the doorstep or whatever? Well, I have I've had this thought before and I think it crystallizes a little bit on Halloween. Everyone on your street knows you're a Christian because you're probably one of the only cars that's not in the driveway on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. That's a that's kind of a maybe a simplistic way of thinking about things, but every Sunday when I leave when we leave for church in the morning, I we're always looking I'm always I look up and down the street and we have one of those neighborhoods everyone Everyone's garage is too small, so it's filled with junk, and so everyone parks mm-hmm. on their driveway and in the street. And we're like the only house where there's a car missing on the whole street, you know, maybe one or two others. And so everyone on your street knows that you're a Christian. And so everyone on your street, when they send your their kid, you know, dressed as Batman or whatever, up to your door, they know that they're knocking on the neighborhood Christian's door. Mm-hmm. So how you respond, whether you if you over-spiritualize things and make someone uncomfortable, or if you have your light turned off and shut down and pretend like no one's home, yep. just just by the fact that you go to church most Sunday mornings, how you react to this Halloween encounter uh, is impacting your witness, or how you don't react to it is impacting your witness. Yeah, I would agree with so that. So just being a regular, kind, ordinary person that's pleasant to be around, that gives out good candy. Mm-hmm. I think is probably the most positive outcome from that whole thing that you could ask for. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, even the discussion we're having now is Christian liberty, because one of the things that you you bump up to when you talk about Christian liberty, and it's actually something that folks don't like a whole lot, is you get to say, agree to disagree. Uh-huh. And you would be shocked um, at how much we don't like that. Wait a second. We can't, you can't disagree with me. Right. Because that it's means it's unsettled, and that means you don't see things the way I see them. And heaven forbid. And, you know, we you can't agree to disagree with me. And and here we're saying, you know, if you want to put some scripture verses on your candy, that's great. I would agree to disagree with mm-hmm. that. But, you know, feel free to do it. And there's reasons that you just articulated um, that maybe you and uh, the McCandless family decides not to do that, yeah. which is... Perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly, don't take my opinion as um, as anything that's biblically mandated. One of the things that uh, we tend to be on the more 
um, I don't know, open-minded or liberal side on the Christian liberty question. And uh, one of the things that folks on our side sometimes are tempted to is to turn the exercise of Christian liberty into a law itself. Mm. And so it's like, if you're not doing these things, then you're in the wrong. Well, not really. Sure. I think I think a proper exercise of wisdom and measuring the materiality of some decisions is a good argument for the positions that we hold. I knew you were thinking that. I just use that as an opportunity to say, agree to disagree. Yes. You know, is yes. normally is an okay thing to say yep. um, when it comes to Christian liberty. And uh, yep, agree to disagree. Yep. If the Bible doesn't speak clearly on it, if it's not keeping us from obeying the Lord and something he's called us to do, we, we, can, we can do that sometimes. Yep. Um, Michael, any other specific Christian liberty questions that you want to address? We've talked a lot about Halloween, a lot about alcohol, a little bit about school choice, and a couple of other things. Um, but I think the main themes we've put out there. Any final no. thoughts before we start to wrap up? Nope. I, I mean, I would just I would I would leave folks with the idea that it, it's a good idea for you, but if it's not biblically mandated, um, you can't you can't make it a good idea or a biblical mandate for other folks. Absolutely. Well, folks, we hope you've appreciated this edition of TGC Midweek. We are going to be off next week, taking a little bit of a break. And then the following week, we're going to be back picking up on our Hot Topics series, launching into the next um, section, umbrella, chunk, theological Hot Topics. Um, So that'll be interesting. Well, we hope you'll join us. If you've got a Hot Topic that falls under that category and you'd like for us to consider it on a future episode of of the show, you can send that into questions at trinitygracesa.org. We look forward to hearing from you, and until next time, we'll see you later.